Uh, we just want to thank you for being here this morning. And uh, can't hear me. Can't, good morning. Good morning. There we go. It's good to see everybody. We're really glad that you're here this morning and uh, thankful for the opportunity to be able to worship together this morning. And, uh, you know, I got to say, uh, you guys all look really good. You look good. And uh, everybody looks pretty, pretty normal. We all look normal, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's good to be able to uh, meet and to be able to go through God's word together and, uh, and worship together. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Uh, you, you might be missing Pastor Paul right about now. And, uh, uh, you know, he is, uh, you know, taking a little bit of a sabbatical. And so we can get away with things that we might not otherwise be able to get away with. Um, but I have a couple of pictures. He's visiting some friends in Southeast Asia. These are actually pictures I meant to show last week and I couldn't make it work. But uh, they're doing well and uh, just enjoying their time uh, over there. And so we want to be able to continue to be praying for them. So, uh, amen? amen? All right. Well, uh, you know, obviously there's a little bit of a, a, a difference this morning. Does anybody know what it is? <laughs> it's, this, it's, it's, it's this ridiculous thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, you know, the thing is, is uh, as we continue in sort of this journey together, we're going to be continuing to look at what true spirituality is. And, uh, you know, this is not, uh, I know, you know, we're in October now and Halloween is, uh, you know, right upon us. Uh, it's not really a statement about Halloween at all, though. Uh, really, you know, the idea is, is that, you know, sometimes we come to church and we come wearing these masks, don't we? Sometimes and we feel like we've got to look a certain way and dress a certain part. And a lot of times... Uh, It is what we think we need to do uh, because we're concerned about what other people are going to think. And as we think about the journey of true spirituality, we have to sort of come to grips with who we really are. And that's what we want to spend some time talking about this morning. I'm going to try to switch over here. So, you know, in our lives, I wonder this is, do you ever put on a mask? You know, do you ever sort of dress up because you think that you've got to look and be perceived a certain way? And sometimes in spirituality, it can become so much of just what we do rather than who we are. And then the what we do really becomes kind of what we perceive other people think about us. And sometimes it's easy for us to put on certain masks because we want to be able to control, right? We want to be able to dictate the things that happen to us. We want to dictate how we're perceived and what people think. And as we've been kind of going through this series on true spirituality, you know, we've, we've talked about some things that can be pretty challenging. And, you know, that one of the things that God wants most from us is surrender, And we talked about the life of Abraham and how God called him to surrender all that he had. And then last week we talked a little bit about how important it is that we separate ourselves from the world's values. And we looked at the life of Daniel and we talked about how he was a man who held his conviction even when things were really difficult. And he had courage to follow God's will. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but... You know, sometimes I can look at these things and I can think, okay, well, here's, here's what God wants from me, right? True spirituality. This is what God wants. Is he wants me to surrender my life to him, but he also wants me in that surrender to separate myself from the world's values, to be separate, to be a person of conviction on the truth of God's word. But oftentimes my reality is that I fail at that all the time. M- maybe you've got your act together or you feel like you do, or maybe you just wear the mask that says that you have your act together. Maybe you dress up, but not physically on the outside, but spiritually on the inside so that you can present your way, yourself a certain way to the people around you. But the reality is, is that when it comes to surrender and when it comes to being separate from the world's values, we know that it's a struggle. We know that there's areas in our lives that 
We don't always surrender to God's will. And we know that there's areas in our lives that we're still holding on to things of the world. That we don't want to let go of certain pleasures or desires or pursuits that we're chasing. And so where we can be left is with a feeling that we are not who we really are. We can be left feeling like we're failures. And not just that we might be failures in the eyes of other people but that we're failures in the eyes of God. And so we just try to kind of hold on to things and control what we can control. But then we have all these times that happen where we just don't meet expectations. And really, it's not meeting our own expectations. It's not meeting the expectations of what we think other people are thinking. But it's this perceived expectation of God. And we think, well... I don't know if God could ever use somebody like me. You know, I feel like maybe I've made so many mistakes in my life, you know, that it would be easier for God to just push me aside and use somebody else. And maybe you've been there before. And this morning, we want to sort of move along in Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open to Romans chapter 12. And then I'm going to do this to us again. We're going to jump over to Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to look at an an overview of the life of Moses. But I think that this is interesting to me, that Paul is talking about true spirituality in Romans chapter 12. And he talks about it in terms of relationship. That it's about having genuine and authentic relationships with himself and with others. And having an authentic and genuine relationship with yourself. Right? That how you perceive yourself is just as important as how you and I perceive God. And so he is our heavenly father. We talked about true spirituality is anchored in this idea that we must have an accurate picture of who God is. And here's the awesome thing is that when we have an accurate picture of who God is, then all of a sudden it allows us to see ourselves in a way that is accurate and consistent With how God sees us. And and really it can go a number of different ways. But listen to what Paul says. In the first verse he talks about our relationship with him. That we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In the second verse he talks about how we should not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of of our minds. But then look in verses 3 through 8. This is the key text for this morning. Romans chapter 12 Verse 3 through 8 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one, as in one body we have many members, and the, mem- and, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So it's interesting to me that in this list, right, we look at this a lot of times, we study this passage, and we think about it, rightly so, in the context of gifting, the gifts that God has given us. But step back and look at the broader context here. Is God, Paul is writing to us, and God is telling us through Paul that there's a relationship issue here. And, and when we evaluate the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, and we evaluate the relationship that we have with the world, we are going to be conflicted with the reality that we don't measure up. That in and of ourselves, we don't meet the standard. And so Paul gives us a context here where he says it's important to think about, to assess how we think about ourselves. To not think too highly about ourselves, but to think with sober judgment. To have a right understanding of who we are. And so let me ask the question uh, that Dave posted, posed earlier this morning is who do you think that you are? If somebody asked you, who are you? How would you answer that? 
but could you answer who are you without telling me anything that you do? Right? Who are you as a person? What makes you, you? And here's the point of this question, right? Is that how clear that you and I are in answering that question will determine the quality of our relationships and the contentment of our lives. Let me say that again. How clearly we're able to answer that question, who do you think you are, will determine the quality of your relationships and the contentment of your life. If you want to be content in life, and you want to have strong, healthy, uh, good, vibrant relationships, then it is important, it is necessary that we have an accurate and right view of who we are. Because you know this in relationships, right? That if you think too highly of yourself, then your relationships will be influenced by that pride. And if you think too lowly of yourself, then you might feel like you have nothing to offer the people around you. And yet, God gives us a promise. And he has a will and a plan and a purpose for our lives. And sometimes it is us, it is me, it's my view of myself, my understanding and perspective of who I am that gets in the way of what God wants to be able to do. There are a lot of different factors in our lives that shape who we are. Our family, our background, our environment, our personality, our significant others and role models, uh, our childhood, the values and belief systems that we're taught, they all play a very critical role in our self-identity. And so think about, you know, each one of us is comprised of a variety of different factors over a, a variety of different years. Some of us for a few years, some of us for many years. But all of these things work together to define and to identify who we are. And so who are we really? Uh, in, in your bulletin, I have uh, some notes that you can follow along if you'd like to just fill in blanks or whatever, if that's helpful. But on the back, I just have a list of questions. And if you want to pull that out and take a peek at it, um, I'm not going to go through all these questions now. But they are factors that determine, that influence, that, that play into who you are. They don't necessarily define you, but they are influential in your identity. And so maybe those are a good place to start to think about why are you the person that you are? You know, and, and what are the contributing factors to this? There are things to sort of be able to think about. But, but here's the point, is that God has a specific plan in mind for each one of his children. If you have come to Christ and you've put your faith in him as your personal savior and you've received the free gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life, then you are a child of God. You are grafted into his family. You are an heir to the throne of grace. And in that, God has purpose. This is why he doesn't just remove us from the earth once we come into relationship with him, but that he utilizes that relationship to build and to strengthen and to transform the world like we saw last week. And here is his mission statement for each one of us, right? He doesn't hide it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's his goal, is that he is our creator. We are his project. We are his creation. Uh, glory is reflected from himself off of his creation through the fulfillment of our works, the fulfillment of what we do in Christ. It's not works that save us, but it's the work of Christ. But listen, this isn't just works in the idea of what we do and checking off a list. This is works in terms of true spirituality, right? It's in the context of relationship. So the work that God does in us, that he has prepared in advance for us to do, it specifically is speaking about the relationships that we have. Relationships with our Father, relationships with the world, relationships with one another. It's it's the relationships that become the guideline of our spiritual growth. I think that we see this very uh, blatantly in the life of Moses. And so if you will, I'm going to ask you to jump 
uh, move over to Old Testament, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be in 2 through 4. I'm just going to pull out some sections, uh, but we're going to kind of look at a high view of the life of Moses. And here's why. It's because I believe that Moses' journey reveals how to come to grips with the real you. How to come to grips with the real you. Moses was a very interesting story, right? And a lot of us have heard the story of Moses and we know a little bit about it. But let me just kind of remind us of some of the background. The children of Israel were in bondage uh, in Egypt for over 400 years. And uh, what was happening was basically that the Hebrew people were growing in number. And there was becoming more and more of them. And so as you can imagine, Pharaoh is getting concerned because the numbers are increasing. And he knows the reality that at some point there would be enough of them to overthrow uh, the Egyptians. And so he comes up with this plan that he's going to kill all of the boys. And so obviously we know that there's some foreshadowing going on here of what would happen in the New Testament with King Herod uh, trying to kill uh, all the boys so that the Messiah who had been born would also be killed. Uh, but there is this event that is happening and all the boys that are, are being killed. And it's a very sort of unassuming way. Exodus chapter 2 verse 1 basically says a man and a woman, uh, you know, had a baby. It's just two ordinary Hebrew people and they have this family and out of this family they have this baby boy and you know the story they're they're acting on faith they are trusting uh, that, that God wants them to try to protect this baby and so they put the baby in a basket they put him in a river and the baby floats down the river the sister goes out and follows to watch to see what's going on and sure enough the baby gets kind of stuck in the reeds and Pharaoh's daughter is out in the water and she hears the baby, she sees the baby, goes over. And the sister comes along and says, hey, uh, you've got this newborn baby, clearly not from you. And, uh, you know, there's somebody back home that I can take, here, take him to that can help nurse and raise him up and then, you know, bring him back. And so she uh, decides to do this and the baby goes back with his mom. Moses goes back with his mom, is raised with his family for a period of time. And then goes back to the house of Pharaoh. And in Pharaoh's house, Moses is raised as a prince. He's raised with all the privileges and all the benefits that go along with being in Pharaoh's palace. And so what do we see? We see right away that there are these things, these events that are happening in Moses' life that really become part of his you know, identity. It's part of who he is. So Moses' parents, his childhood, his education, his experiences were preparation for him to fulfill his divine assignment. See, God had a plan and he put Moses in the right place, in the right position so that he would be able to use him for his greater purposes. And God used these circumstances to be able to raise him up and to prepare him for what he was, what God had in store for him. He had parents that were godly. They were willing to risk their life rather than kill him. He had parents that were risk takers. They had faith. They taught him about Yahweh. They taught him about Yahweh's promises and his deliverance. And they were allowing for God's will to be Done when he was taking, taken into the house of Pharaoh. The same thing is true for you and I. Our parents, our background, our physical DNA, the hardships that we've been through, the childhood that we had to experience, even our birth order. And God sovereignly put those things in place. God sovereignly uses your parents and your background, the highs and the lows, the difficulties and the pain that we experience. He uses all of these things. And here's the thing is that God does not necessarily cause everything that happens in our lives, but he allows the things that have happened in our lives to prepare us for a future plan that he has for each one of us. You know, it's a sovereign 
act of God that does this. And he prepares us for our Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, divine assignment. But you know what happens is that sometimes we get in our own way. We sometimes sort of put ourselves in a position where we're not able to fulfill what God has called us to do because of our own views and our own distractions. And this happens to Moses. And we see this in a couple of different ways. One, we see that Moses' warped view, it was too high at first, of himself, prevented him from fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. It says, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you prince and judge over us? In other words, he said, who do you think you are? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. See, sometimes our assignment is right, but we try to do it with our own power and in our own energy. Moses thought, you know what? I can handle this. I'm capable. I'm the prince. I'm one of Pharaoh's family. I'll take care of this situation right now. He thought that he could figure it out, that he could control it. He thought, I'm the man. I'm going to call the shots. And his warped view was that he had power and prestige, and he believed that his abilities and his education and his background gave him the right to call the shots. And he tried to do God, God's will his way. And as a result, he almost missed it. You know, the same thing can be true for you and I. Sometimes we can think that we've got it all together, right? That we've got all the education, that we've got all the experience, that we've been there and we've done that before, and that we don't answer to anybody, that we don't owe anybody an answer. And sometimes we can begin to treat God that way. And we can say, God, I've got it together. I don't need to surrender my life because I've figured it out on my own. I've worked hard. I have the experience. I have the intellect. I'm good. I don't really need you to interfere with my life. But as you know, it ended badly for Moses. He was being killed and pursued by Pharaoh. And so he flees to Midian. And he lives on the outskirts in the fields with his flocks. And so what next with Moses? Well, many years pass. And then in Exodus chapter 3, we see that he has this experience with the burning bush. And in this, we see that Moses' warped view, right? His view is still warped about himself, but now it's not too high. Now it's too low. And it once again almost prevents him from fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Uh, You probably know the story of the burning bush, right? Moses is on the hillside. He's watching over his flock. He sees a bush in the distance that is burning, but it's not being consumed. And so he goes to the burning bush, and lo and behold, it is God himself, and speaks to Moses and tells him, take off your sandals because you are in holy ground. He was in the presence of God. And God begins to tell him and to remind him that his divine assignment for Moses is not over and that God has a plan for him. And even though he thought too highly of himself initially and got himself into trouble, God wasn't finished. But now there's a different issue. He thinks too lowly of himself. And if you know the story, Moses is full of excuses. He's full of all kinds of different hesitations. And so let me share with you just four of these excuses that we see in this conversation and then in conversations that will ensue in the later chapter as well. But let me pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, just 
You can follow along with me. Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. This is how it says, God is speaking to Moses. And he says, and now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And so God says, hey, I still have a design, divine assignment for you. I have a plan for your life. And what does Moses says? say? He says, who am I? This is his first ex- excuse. He basically says, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I'm not important. I'm not a prince anymore. I'm not living in the house of Egypt anymore. I, I killed a man. And I am, you know, sort of exiled. I am out here for the protection of my own life. I'm a shepherd. I'm living in Midian. I'm, I'm nobody. I, I'm nothing important. See, sometimes I think that when we think about God's design and purpose for our lives, a lot of us, the first thing that we do is say, I, I'm not important. I'm, I'm nobody. In fact, if you check far enough in my past, like yesterday, I have a lot of failures and a lot of mistakes. And there's a bunch of junk in my closet that I really don't want to have to deal with, but I know that you don't really want to deal with me and that you, you couldn't possibly want to use me. But notice what God tells him here. He basically says it, it's not who, who we are that's important, but it's who he is that's important. Amen? It's, it's not who I am that matters. I hate to burst someone's bubble. It's not who you are that matters. What matters is who he is and who God is. I know we live in a day and age where it's all about inter-reflection, right? And, and just being true to yourself and that you just need to be the best version of you and that's where you're going to find happiness in life. No, that's, that's not it. What, what matters is finding our identity in Christ. It's understanding that it's not who we are, but it's who Christ is. It's not what we have done, but it's what Christ has done on our behalf. And so he has this excuse. I'm a nobody. God answers it, but, you know, Moses, he doesn't give up that quickly. Look in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. We're jumping down to the next set here. Then Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So this is Moses' second excuse, right? He says, what shall I say to them? He says, not only am I a nobody, but I'm not smart enough. It, when they ask me questions, right? If I show up, they're going to ask me questions. <laughs> they're going to expect me to know stuff. And I, there's no way I'm smart enough to deal with this. And again, I think, man, that is us sometimes, right? It's like, God, you... You can't use me. I'm not even important. And listen, even if I go, even if I try to fulfill this assignment that you have for me, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not. I've, I have all this history, all these failures. Like I have proven time and time and time again that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so this is Moses' excuse. I'm not smart enough. But God says, I am who I am. He presents himself as the ever-existent one. We see this again in the New Testament where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. See, it doesn't matter how smart we are because who we have is the one who is eternal. He is above all but he, and over all and he is beyond all. Well, good old Moses 
That didn't stop him there, did it? So Exodus 4, flip to the next chapter, look at verses 1 through 5. We see his third excuse. It says, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. I love that. Ran from it. But then the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. I don't know if he's running from it. I'm not sure how he decided to grab a hold of it. But he did. And he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. And it says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Moses wasn't done. And he says, but you know what? I don't really see that there's any value to who I am. And I don't really even know what I'm going to say, but it doesn't matter. Because listen, even though I'm a nobody, and even though I don't know what to say, if I show up, they're not going to believe me anyway. Right? Have you ever used that excuse before? God, I'm not going to do this. Not only am I not the right person, but even nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to care what I have to say. There's nothing good that's going to come from this. And this is his excuse. Moses says, I'm not credible. I don't have the credentials. I don't have the platform. They're never going to listen to me. And so God shows up and he says, you know what? You're right. (laughs) But they'll listen to me. And he gives him a couple of examples of his power. And we see the staff that's turned into a snake that's turned back into a staff. And in, in the next section, we'll, they see, we see that he does the same thing with his hand in leprosy. He sticks his hand in a cloak, pulls it out, and he has leprosy. And then he sticks it back in the cloak and pulls it out, and it's healed. It's a demonstration of the power of God. See, our credibility is not the issue. God wants us to trust him and to get our focus off of ourselves. So often we just can't get out of our own way, of our own thinking about ourselves. We talked about that when we were talking last week about being separate from the world. The world wants to transform our thinking into a worldly thinking. And so we have to get our minds off of ourselves and onto God to be balanced in our view, to not think too highly, but also to not think too lowly of ourselves. God says, I'll take what you already have in my power and by my grace, I'll use you in ways that you have never dreamed. Some of us are not able to fulfill the divine assessment, the divine assignment, right? Ephesians 2.10, that God has for our lives Because we have closed the door before we even have an opportunity to see what God wants to do. We have predetermined that we can't, that we don't have it, that we're not good enough, that we're not important enough, that we don't know what to say, that people aren't going to listen, and we write it off before we even give God a chance to see what he wants to do. Well, it doesn't end there either. Moses has one more in him. Look in Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what you shall speak. So Moses introduces another excuse here. He says, I'm not qualified. I don't have anything good to offer. And really what he's saying is, is that, you know, like there's, there's nothing good that I can even provide. I'm not gifted. I don't have the ability. In other words, he kind of says, you know, God, you, you have the wrong guy. I wonder... You know, have you ever felt like saying that to the Lord God? You got the wrong person. You know, you knocked on the wrong door this morning. You know, you must, you must have meant to knock on my neighbor's door. Because what you're asking and what you're expecting, it's just not me. I'm just not good enough. 
I can't cut it. And we make up our own excuses rather than trusting in the Lord. You know, I think that this is what's key. When we looked at the life of Abraham a couple of weeks ago, we saw that he was trusting in God's character and in God's promises. And that enabled him to be able to surrender and sacrifice his life. In the story of Daniel, we saw that it was God's character and God's promises that allowed him to stand with conviction and to separate himself from the world's values, to stand with courage. But Moses is a little more reluctant. But Moses' reluctant trust in God's promises and God's character ultimately became his baby steps to a sober self-assessment. It was these little steps that he needed. You know what's awesome in this is that God didn't look at Moses' excuses and say, hey, Moses, what? quit complaining. Quit making excuses. Get your stuff together and let's go. Right? God didn't do that. He reminds him with each excuse. Like, I get it. This is your fear. This is your thinking. But let, you, let me remind you who I am. Let me remind you of the promises that I've made to you. Let me realign your heart so that together we can accomplish this divine assignment that I have for you. Because the spiritual growth that was happening in the life of Moses was out of this relationship with the Heavenly Father. It was a desire for Mo- that Moses had to follow God, but to begin to shift his thinking so that he could begin to see himself the way that God sees him. And God, one by one, removes these hesitations. He removes these barriers. He shifts how he sees himself so that Moses could not be a better person or try harder or do better, but simply so that Moses would begin to trust God more so that God could do the bigger work, so that God could do the greater things, so that God could receive the greater glory. Think about this with these four excuses, right? Excuse number one, I'm a nobody. How does God respond to that? God says, I will go with you, right? It's going to be hard to hear sometimes, but I'm a nobody. Yes, you are. But God is somebody and God will be present with you. It's God's presence. It's his work. He's the one that will accomplish it. He's the one that's behind it. Matthew 28, verse 20 says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Excuse number two, he says, I'm not smart enough. And God says, that's fine, you're not. But I have all the answers. I have all the answers. You don't have to be smart enough. You and I don't have to figure it out. We don't have to know the right things to say. Because God is the one who will supply the answers at just the right time. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can get through any circumstance, any challenge that comes my way because it is Christ in me that gives me the strength. In my weaknesses, he is made strong. Excuse number three says, I'm not credible. And God says, yeah, but I will empower you. I will be the one to empower you. I will be the one that will change your staff from a rod to a snake and back again. When we go with these excuses to God, he promises through the power of the Holy Spirit to empower our lives. To do the work that we couldn't possibly accomplish in and of our own strength. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know, so often the way that we view ourselves with reluctance to fulfill the divine assignment of God is because we're afraid, because we're scared. At least that's how I am, because I'm scared. I don't, I don't want another failure in my life. I don't want another problem. I don't want another mistake. And yet it's an act of faith because I'm trusting that God is the one that's at work. And if anything good is going to happen, it's going to be because of the Lord. Excuse number four, he says, I'm not qualified. And God gives an answer to this too. He says, I have gifted you for this job. 
And we see that specifically in Romans chapter 12. The gifts that God gives us, the spiritual gifts that he gives us for the purpose of accomplishing his will. See, the gifts that God gives us are for the strengthening and the edifying of the body. But one of the purposes of the gift is so that we would rightly view ourselves in a way that would depend completely and wholly on the power of God. And we see this in Romans chapter 12. Let me read this again. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And he goes through prophecy, service, one who teaches And goes through that whole list there. God has given us gifts. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've trusted him as your personal savior, not only are you redeemed, not only are you forgiven, but you are empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been given specific gifts. So it's not to figure it out on your own. You don't have to rely on yourself. It's not about being good enough. It's not about being educated or going to seminary. It's not about you know being a good church person that has it all figured out. It means relying and trusting in the promises and character of God. There's a lot of conflicting messages, I think, in our world. If you look on TV or in the media today, we see this all the time. And we are constantly bombarded with messages that will eventually will eat us up. That we're not good enough, that we don't measure up, that we don't look right, that we don't act right. That there's something that is wrong with us. Really, when you think about it, that is like the key to advertising, isn't it? The key to advertising is to make sure that we are discontent with who we are so that we will feel compelled or need to buy whatever product they're selling, right? If I can make you feel bad or feel that you have a need, then I can convince you that this product is what you need to make you feel better or to, you know, whatever it is, to accomplish whatever you need. And I think that that's a good advertising tactic but listen think about the garden of eden now listen i want to be clear if any of you are in advertising i am not saying that you're doing the work of the devil that's not what i'm saying (laughs) god bless you you are gifted and you are good at figuring out what i need and how to convince me to go spend my money on it good for you you know i i hope you make a great living with that so but listen the garden of eden that's what it was right that satan goes to eve and basically says you you don't have this If you would eat the apple, then you would be able to have the knowledge of good and evil, that you would be on an equal plane as God. She was sold on this idea that you are not good enough in and of yourself. You need something more so that you can actually be who you're supposed to be. That happens every day in our lives. I'm not talking about products that we buy. That's part of life, and we need to do those things. But what I'm talking about is spiritually, Satan is constantly telling us, he's constantly trying to label you and constantly trying to to remind you and to shame you and guilt you with your past and trying to convince you that you are not good enough, that you don't measure up, that you don't have what it takes, and that at the end of the day, God is more disappointed in you than he is in love with you. And it is a lie from the pit of hell. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. See Moses' life reveals that a sober self-assessment is a prerequisite to fulfill our divine assessment. We have to be able to see ourselves rightly in order to be seen and accomplish the way, things that God wants us to accomplish. Some of you know my story more than others, but the fact that I have an opportunity to be here and to stand with you and to be part of the Riverside family and to be, uh, have the privilege and the honor to share in the role that I have here at Riverside is a miracle of God. It, there's, there's nothing... There is nothing good about myself or anything that I've done that, that gives me the right to stand up here and to share God's word with you. And it is this that he has done. 
far more abundantly all I ever thought or would ask. At a certain time in my life, I thought that this type of a thing would never happen again in my life. And primarily, it was because I didn't deserve it. Because God was so disappointed in me and so let down by the failures in my life that I did not deserve the opportunity to share about his word. But God is good, and his grace is greater. And, and, and you guys are awesome. <laughs> and they have given me an opportunity. But I praise the Lord for that. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. And so here's what we'd say is we surrender before God and we have offered our bodies as a living sacrifice and we say no to the world and we say yes to God and we enter into this act of renewing our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first place that Paul takes us to renew our minds is our view of ourselves. We need to renew our minds. There are some of us here today that need to renew your mind about how you think that God perceives you. You need to renew your mind about how you perceive and think about yourself. You are his workmanship. Literally, you are his poem. It is a picture of you. You are a tapestry. You are his work of art. You are his Rembrandt or Michelangelo. God created you. There is no other DNA in all of the universe exactly like yours. And in his sovereignty, he knew where you would be born. He knew the opportunities that would be unique to you. He would know what your eye color is. He would know what time and period of history you would live in. And he has been preparing all of these years for today to prepare you for the good work that he has for you to walk in. Some of you this morning carry a certain amount of unbelievable hurt and unbelievable pain. Some of you have dealt with abuse and some of you have dealt with betrayal. Some of you have dealt with just exhausting failure and letdown. But those experiences have produced scars. No doubt they're real and they are there and they have influenced. They are factors in who you are. Maybe it has resulted in a difficulty to trust people, a difficulty to have compassion towards others. And so it is essential that we have an accurate view of ourselves, that we are God's beloved. You know, even Jesus needed to be reminded of this. At his baptism, God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And at his transfiguration to fulfill his ministry, he says, this is my son whom I dearly love. Even Jesus needed to be reminded in his humanity of a sober self-assessment, which gave him renewed strength to go to the cross for you and me. I'm not saying that he was weak and it wouldn't have happened, but listen, part of Jesus going to the cross was the reminder of his identity, of who he was in the eyes of the Father. When God looks at you, he says, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you've put your faith in Christ and you've been made by God, redeemed by God, forgiven and adopted into his family, He not only loves you, he likes you. And he likes you without makeup. He likes you without rock hard abs. He liked you when you had a lot of money. And he likes you when you don't have a whole lot anymore. He likes you when you're peppy and encouraged and obeying. And he likes you when you're struggling. You are his beloved child. And you have never been unloved. See, we can take the mask off because God knows and he loves us. In spite of it all, he loves us because we've never been unloved.
Sorry. I skipped a bunch of stuff because of time. (laughs) 